Looking for a new show to dive into? Well, go to Hulu and see what's new, because Hulu has new stuff all the time. Like the full season of FX's epic limited series Shogun, FX's new international spy thriller The Veil, starring Emmy and Golden Globe winner Elizabeth Moss. And don't miss the all-new crime series Under the Bridge, inspired by shocking true events and starring Riley Keough and Lily Gladstone. It's all new, and it's streaming now on Hulu. Capella University is rethinking higher education. With their game-changing FlexPath format, you can earn your degree on your schedule so you can fit education seamlessly into your life. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu. Welcome to True Crime Garage. Wherever you are, whatever you're doing, thanks for listening. I'm your host, Nick, and with me, as always, is a man with less friends than Ted Kaczynski. Here is the captain. It's good to be seen, and it's good to see you. Thanks for listening. Thanks for telling a friend. This week, we are very proud to be featured doing good by the good folks over at Mother's Brewing Company in beautiful Springfield, Missouri. Mother's Doing Good is a delicious classic Midwestern wheat ale, but they've added oranges, making Doing Good one of the best drinking wheat beers out there. It's bright, it's delightful, it's refreshing. Garage grade three and three quarter bottle caps out of five. And now let's give some please and thank yous to our garage friends who are doing good. First up, a big, big thank you to a big, big fan of the show in New Jersey. Cheers to Marianne K. And a big cheers to Aaron in Vancouver, Canada. Next up, Captain, we have a shout-out to Charlene in Plainfield, Illinois. A big We Like Your Jib to Trish in Indianapolis. And a thank you to the wonderful kitchen staff at Crimsey's Cajun Kitchen. And last but certainly not least, we have a big thank you and cheers to Helena in Missouri. Yeah, B-W-E-R-R-U-N, Beer Run. Thanks for helping us fill up the fridge. Also, when you're at the website, sign up on our mailing list so you can get promo codes sent to you for the store page. Also, if you need more True Crime Garage in your earballs, check out our bonus show on Stitcher Premium called Off the Record. And all of our episodes are available everywhere you listen to podcasts. And Colonel, that is enough of the business. All right, everybody, gather around, grab a chair, grab a beer. Let's talk some true crime. Skidmore is a small town in northwest Missouri. 
the state that we have ventured off to on True Crime Garage before, but not often. We covered the horrific case of Kent Heitholt, who was found beaten and strangled in a Columbia, Missouri parking lot. In 2005, Ryan Ferguson was wrongfully convicted of that crime. Charles Erickson, the alleged accomplice, remains in prison. Obviously, there is much debate if that case should be closed or reopened. We covered the still unsolved, mysterious disappearance of three women dubbed the Springfield Three. Stacy McCall, her good friend Suzanne Streeter, and Suzanne's mother, Cheryl Levitt. That case began on June 7, 1992, when all three went missing from Cheryl Levitt's home in Springfield, Missouri. All of their personal belongings, including cars and purses, were left behind. Again, that case is still unsolved, and all three are still missing. Skidmore is a small town, not just in size, less than 0.4 square miles, but also in population. In fact, it's estimated that only about 260 people live in Skidmore. And for some reason, the population has been decreasing a little more each year for the last 100 years. In 1981, Skidmore got the reputation of a town that wouldn't take any crap, a town that takes care of itself and watches out for their own. This became known when Ken Rex McElroy, the town bully, was shot to death and dozens of people were present. But like the old saying, nobody saw a thing. Skidmore is a small town that is far away from the big cities of Columbia and Springfield, Missouri, but certainly not too far that it is free from big city problems. This week, we go to Skidmore and examine a story that involves a strange disappearance, an abduction, and murder. This is True Crime Garage. Branson Perry was born on February 24, 1981. His parents are Becky Kleino and Bob Perry. Branson was born and raised in Skidmore, Missouri. The town sits on a hill above the Nottoway River amid cornfields in northwestern Missouri. The residents farm and there is one lone gas station in town. Some of the citizens work at the factories nearby. At some point, Branson's parents split up, but this was not when he was young. Branson was the oldest of two boys, and he went to live with his father. His little brother lived with Branson's mother. Branson was close with his father, and not only that, Branson's father, Bob, had some ongoing health concerns. So there is some thought that maybe Branson chose living with his father in a way to take care of him. Regardless, We should point out that this was not a messy or nasty divorce that took place during Branson's high school years. Branson and his father were close and did a lot of father-son bonding type activities together, especially outdoorsy type stuff like fishing, hiking, and so on. One activity that the two enjoyed together, they both trained in the martial art of Hapkido. Hapkido is described as a hybrid Korean martial art. 
This is a form of self-defense that employs joint locks, grappling, throwing techniques, kicks, punches, and other striking attacks. It also teaches the use of traditional weapons. There are different levels of belts, and according to the Charlie Project's website, Branson was a black belt, but I don't think we can fully say with confidence just how skilled he was. One website I found says that there are only black belts in this discipline, and different degrees of black belt. <laughs> so that makes sense uh, because in other forms, you'd have like a white belt and that would be your starting point. But here they're saying, okay, just black belts. And then we give you different degrees as you get better. And again, this is according to one website that I found. I don't, I'm not going to pretend to know much about Hapkido. I actually had to look up how to spell the darn word. So this is a fun, cool, and interesting thing to study and practice and a great thing for father and son to do together. But I don't think captain that we should assume that Branson was like Carlos Norris or Steven Seagal, you know, a one man wrecking crew sort of thing. JCVD. A Perry graduated not away Holt high school in 1999 and has been employed by a roofing company and a traveling petting zoo. He worked as like a maintenance man for the petting zoo for some time. Not easy jobs. He was unemployed at the time that he would go missing, and he was said to have been looking for work. Branson was 20 years old at the time of his disappearance, and he was still living with his father on West Oak Street in Skidmore, Missouri. Now, the day in question will be Wednesday, April 11th, 2001. This is reported to be the date that Branson was last seen. Right. He was reported missing by his family. And depending on which report you read, this was either five or six days after he disappeared. But either way, he is officially, as far as the sheriff's department is concerned, officially missing by the following Tuesday on April 17th, 2001. So we don't have a clear cut definitive. This is the last day that he was seen. We have the report that he was last seen on April 11. But there were some things, and I think possibly very important things, going on before Branson went missing. Right? So we already established that Branson is living with his father, Bob. Everything we could find shows that it was just the two of them living together in that home. Right. Now, Bob, on Wednesday, April 11, he is laid up in the hospital. But he is due to come home soon. So on this Wednesday, there is going to be a lot of activity at the house. Branson, to me, looks to be prepping the house for his father's return or is just being as productive as possible as he doesn't have a job. So he's probably helping out by getting some things done around the house. Right. This also gives us a good opportunity to introduce Joanne Stinnett. Joanne is Branson's grandmother. And I think she likely is the one to have organized the events of April 11. So on this day, Captain, we are going to have some house cleaning and some vehicle repair and others will be involved. So we have Gina Crawford, who was a good friend of Branson's. She is at the house. She is helping with some cleaning and some household chores. There are two men at the house. These guys are replacing the alternator in Branson's father's vehicle. Now, one thing here is that Gina is mentioned by name in almost every source that I could find. These two men, however, are not. 
In some sources, they are referred to as two men working on Bob's vehicle. Right. Other sources as two mechanics. And in some outlets, they are even referred to as two unnamed men or two unnamed mechanics. Yeah, it's, it's difficult here because you have such a small town that it wouldn't be unlikely for a mechanic to come to your house and just do the work. I, hey, I'll just come off on my off day and I'll, I'll do the work over at your house. We don't need to take it into my shop. So it's not unlikely, but you go, well, who are these guys? They could be mechanics. And like you said, it wouldn't be uncommon, especially in a town this small for them to come to the property and work on the vehicle. We're talking about a town that is less than 0.4 square miles in size. So everybody lives within blocks of one another. So if you have a vehicle that cannot move, cannot operate, you save everybody the hassle of a tow company picking it up and moving it just to fix it when you could walk three blocks over to your neighbor's home and fix it in the driveway. And maybe they're also just being called mechanics because they're fixing the car. But changing an alternator in most cars is not the most complex mechanical work. So there's a lot of people that don't even know much about cars that could change that themselves. Because of the small town in the population, and we know Gina Crawford's name, and we know Joanne Stinnett's name, I just am curious why these guys are unnamed. It seems purposeful. Purposeful by the cops or purposeful just by... By all, by in all involved that may know the names of these two individuals. It it also could be two guys that were cleared by cops, and but maybe they have a, a history, a, a criminal history, and so they don't want to bring up those names to have people run wild with rumors. We see that a lot with cases. That afternoon, Joanne and Gina are working inside the home. According to Gina, around 3 p.m., Branson was inside the home. And he retrieved something from a kitchen cabinet. He said nothing and then walked outside. A little after 3 p.m., Gina looked out the window and saw Perry talking with the two men. Gina says that she opens up the window asking Branson, hey, what are you doing? He tells her, I'm going to put some jumper cables back in the shed and then I'm going to go out for a bit and I will be back soon. Gina watched him throw the cables in the shed and then watched Branson leave the property on foot. Now, we said Branson and his father were tight, right? So Branson was in the habit of visiting his father every evening or night while Bob was at the hospital. So the next day, Joanne, Branson's grandmother, she's at the hospital visiting Bob, during which it comes up in conversation that Branson did not visit his father in the hospital the night before. Apparently it was known to the grandmother and to Bob that sometime on the evening of April 11, Branson would make his daily visit to see Bob. Joanne is learning that that did not happen. So after the visit to see Bob at the hospital, now she's going to go back to the house and check on Branson. So this is on April 12th. Joanne Stinnett goes by the house. When she gets there, she finds that the doors are open. Mm -hmm. I don't have an exact time for this, Captain, but with the events of that day and from some things that I've seen, I think it's safe to say that this is in the ballpark of noonish. Yeah, midday. 
So Joanne finds the house empty. No Branson. More alarming, the doors are unlocked and open. She does say she walks through the house and nothing seemed to be missing from the home other than Branson. She specifically checked for some of Branson's personal belongings, checking to see if things are missing or out of place. Maybe that would clue her in on where to look for Branson or where he went. None of his personal belongings were out of place. On Wednesday, April 11, this is the last time any friends or family reportedly saw Branson, and no one is really sure where he was going when he, when he left that day. So, so when he puts up the, the cables, car cables, and he says, I'm leaving, he doesn't say where he's heading to. He simply says, I'm returning these cables to the shed. I'm heading out for a bit. Mm-hmm. And then he leaves on foot. Says he'll be back. It, it, I think he says he'll be back in a little bit or in a few right. minutes. Whatever it was, at least according to Gina's story, it doesn't sound like she had the impression that he would be gone very long. One, it's not clear to me, so maybe you can make it clear. Is he able to visit his dad in the hospital by walking there? Well, let's get into that because that took quite a bit of further digging. There's a lot of these stories out there about Branson and his disappearance. When you really start digging you can fill in the gaps and the big blanks that are left in a lot of the stories out there about Branson. So as we said earlier, Branson is reported missing to the local authorities. This was by Bob and Becky, his parents. And again, it was either on April 16th or April 17th. I'm guessing here, Captain, but one would think this missing report likely may have coincided with Bob's return home from the hospital. Now, there will be some leads and some persons of interest in Branson's case, but again, before we get into those, we should stop and examine something a little further. Now, I'm not saying that there is any reason to question Branson's family as they have been extremely active looking for him and looking for answers over the years, and likely local law enforcement probably have filled in a good number of these blanks that I mentioned, but again, Captain, I really get bothered anytime we have friends I want to be clear about that. Friends, because we have Gina Crawford and two unnamed individuals or family telling about the details surrounding one's disappearance. And there are so many holes and gaps and lack of information in the overall story. Right. Recently, we discussed the Logan Schindelman disappearance out of Washington State, a fascinating case with some very bizarre stuff going on in that one. And really, the bizarre stuff it really overshadows what I think was really going on in that situation, that someone close to Logan is responsible for his disappearance and for whatever reason a person or persons in the family are slow to act. And then there are big chunks of the story missing or parts of the story that just do not make sense. Real quick, a shout out to the good people that participated in the Honk and Wave event in Grand Mound, Washington last week raising awareness for Logan's case, Matthew Anfeld's case, and Karen Bodine's case. Back to our case, Captain. Here is what is missing from the story. And again, law enforcement likely has filled in all of these blanks. So Branson leaves, and the persons at his home that day, they do not know where he is going. I get that. But Joanne says, 
When she arrives at the home less than 24 hours later, Branson is gone and the house is unlocked and the doors are open. So when did the people leave the house the day before? And when did Joanne leave? And when she left, if she was the last one to leave, did she lock up the house or was she not the last one to leave? And it was general information, at least between Joanne and Bob, that Branson would go visit Bob on the 11th. This is after the time Branson was last seen. So how was Branson getting to the hospital, as you pointed out, Captain? Did Branson have a vehicle? Was he going to drive his dad's vehicle? Maybe ride a bike. The hospital is 15 miles from Branson's home. A 19 to 22 minute drive, according to my map app. Right. If he was taking dad's car to go see dad, that is a fine explanation. But we know two men, two unnamed men, were replacing the alternator in the vehicle on that day in question. So was the vehicle even operable before this switch out job? Because if it wasn't, then again, how was, you know, Branson, how did he get to and from the hospital the previous day and the day before that and the day before that to visit to, to visit his father? Right. It couldn't hurt the investigation to shrink the time frame of when this dude actually went missing. This would really help us to have a better understanding of where whatever it was that went down to prevent Branson from coming back home because he could have run into some trouble when he went out that day. Or if we knew if Joanne, Gina, or either of these mechanic guys locked up the house after leaving well, then it would most certainly look like Branson probably returned at some point and maybe something went down at the house. Right. Who knows? But I'm, again, concerned with the lack of details here, Kevin. Yeah, and why don't we, do we have details on when these mechanics left the house? We do not have an exact time, Captain, of when these two men left the property, but what has been reported is that they left sometime after Branson left on foot. Look, the, the way that this case is generally told is a young man, Branson Perry tells a friend, I'm taking some jumper cables to the shed. He vanishes into thin air forever. Two weeks later, these jumper cables magically reappear in the shed. Apparently they were not there before or until that point. That's the version of this story that gets clicks, views, and so on. Right. It's similar to some of the issues you and I had with the Brian Schaefer case. A man walks into a bar and disappears. Right. Well, that's not that's not the true story. That's not the full story. And same with Branson's case, Captain. There are a lot more here. There's a lot more to this. So I think we've already filled in some of the blanks, but let's see if we can fill in some more along the way because there were some leads in this case and there were some theories. Do you want to set your child up for success? Of course you do. That's why you need to check out IXL Learning today. IXL Learning is an online learning program for kids covering math, language arts, science, and social studies. IXL is designed to help them really understand and master topics in a fun way. 
It's powered by advanced algorithms. IXL gives the right help to each kid, no matter the age or personality. There's one site for all kids in your home pre-K to 12th grade. Kids could use it at home on their computer or on an app on your phone or a tablet. No more grading those worksheets. IXL grades everything for you. One in four students in the U.S. are learning with IXL. IXL is used in 95 of the top 100 school districts in the U.S. I love recommending IXL learning. Kids can learn at home or on the go. And all my friends and family that are using it absolutely love it because it's so easy to set up and so easy to use. And even the kids that I've recommended it to their parents have told me, hey, Captain, thank you. I was having problems in math and my parents couldn't help me, but IXL could. Do you want to get your kids back on track or do you just want to get your kids ahead? Do so with IXL Learning. Make an impact on your child's learning. Get IXL now. And True Crime Garage listeners, get an exclusive 20% off IXL membership when you sign up today at IXL.com garage. Visit IXL.com garage to get the most effective learning program out there at the best price. Check out IXL.com garage today. The best part of spring cleaning takeaway is the post-clean clarity you get. It's kind of like when you find out that you've been paying a fortune for wireless. When Mint Mobile has phone plans for $15 a month when you purchase a three-month plan. It's time to switch to Mint Mobile. All plans come with high-speed data and unlimited talk and text delivered on the nation's largest 5G network. Use your own phone with any Mint Mobile plan and bring your phone number along with all of your existing contacts. Ditch overpriced wireless with Mint Mobile's limited time deal and get three months of premium wireless service for 15 bucks a month. Save a lot of money with Mint Mobile. Get their great mobile wireless service delivered on the nation's largest 5G network. That's premium service at a great price. To get this new customer offer and your new three-month unlimited wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month, go to mintmobile.com slash TCG. That's mintmobile.com slash TCG. Cut your wireless bill to 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com slash TCG. $45 upfront payment required, equivalent to $15 a month. New customers on first three-month plan only. Speed slower above 40 gigabytes on unlimited plan. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See Mint Mobile for details. Warmer, sunnier days are calling. Fuel up for them with Factor's no-prep, no-mess meals. Meet your wellness goals in time for summer thanks to the menu of chef-crafted meals with options like Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, and Keto. Factor's fresh, never-frozen meals are dietitian approved and ready to eat in just two minutes. So no matter how busy you are, you'll always have time to enjoy nutritious, great-tasting meals. With 35 different meals and more than 60 add-ons to choose from every week, you'll always have new flavors to explore. Crush your wellness goals this May with dietitian approved meals and ingredients that you can trust. Make your day delicious. From breakfast to dessert, stay fueled with easy, nutritious options. Treat yourself 
to restaurant-quality meals that feature premium ingredients like filet mignon, shrimp, and blackened salmon. I am new to Factor, and I have been loving every minute of it. I have a problem, and it's called lunch. Some days I need a pack of lunch, and some days I work from home. Whether I'm at home or whether I'm on the go, Factor is fueling my lunch from now on. Head to factormeals.com slash truecrimegarage50 and use code truecrimegarage50 to get 50% off your first box, plus 20% off your next month. That's code truecrimegarage50 at factormeals.com slash truecrimegarage50 to get 50% off your first box, plus 20% off your next month while your subscription is active. We're back, you true crime animals. Cheers to you. Cheers, cheers, cheers. First off, Captain, early on in this investigation, there was a theory that maybe Branson hitchhiked a ride out of town. But his family and friends, they all said that they have never known Branson to hitchhike ever, even you know one single time at that. So that will immediately lead us back to well, what the heck was his vehicle situation? Because most sources do not go this far into the story. But the Charlie Project page dedicated to Branson's case says Branson owned a van and that the van was in fact found parked at Branson's home after he failed to return or at least the next day when his grandmother came over on the 12th, noticing that Branson was not home. Right, so he had a van, but we don't even know if that van was operable that's that was my next question that i had so what we ended up finding here he owns the van it's found at his home i found three other sources that that reference branson's van so again i think it's safe to say that he had his own transportation Mm -hmm. and the way that the van is discussed it sounds like it was operable at the time and it sounds like this was the method that branson had been using to get to and from the hospital to go see his father so then my question would become for his family and friends, where would Branson go without his van, without his van? Was there a coffee shop around the corner? Was there a McDonald's that he liked to just walk to and get something to eat? This, I think that's another key thing here is understanding the, the setting, understanding the, the city. The, well, I shouldn't even say city. I don't know that they even have enough people to be city status, depending on what mm-hmm. Missouri's rules are on that. But it's a town of roughly 260 people mm-hmm. from the reports I read. There was one gas station in the entire town. There was one bar in the entire town. I don't know that there were, I'm assuming there might be a restaurant or a diner, but it's not a place where you have a lot of choices as far as shopping or dining or any, you know, really anything like that at all. So after you date a couple people, you have to start dating your cousins. Right. That's certainly an option. Mm. The uh, two guys, you wanted to know about the two guys working on dad's car. So it's my understanding, Captain, that yes, the van was operable. That was Branson's method of getting to and from the hospital. But the two guys working on dad's car, fixing the alternator, 
Well, they were trying to fix the vehicle because Branson's father, Bob, originally was scheduled to be released that evening. And it sounds like Branson was going to pick him up in his father's vehicle. That would make sense. I can't say if the following is true or not, but I like to think that it is. Branson was close with his father. That is well known by all. And I like to think that he was having the vehicle fixed as a surprise for his old man. Mm-hmm. Now, as for the people at Branson's house that day, this is where things get tricky. Only one source that I could find states that Branson's grandmother was even there on that day. However, 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 that, in my humble garage opinion, was a very, very good source. So let's take that a step further. I believe that if she were, Branson's grandmother, were in fact there on that day, that she probably was just there very briefly and left before Branson left. And I say that because later in an interview I found with Branson's mother, his mother states that, look, we only have one person telling us the story of Branson going missing. This Gina Crawford, friend of Branson's. Only one person. Gina is the only one ever on record saying that she saw Branson retrieve something from a kitchen cabinet. She believed he was trying to conceal whatever it was that he pulled out from the cabinet. Right. And then, of course, a short while later, she says she asked Branson what he's doing. He says he's going to take these jumper cables to the shed and then go out for a bit. To fill in some more of the blanks in, in that same interview, Branson's mom says Gina and the guys working on the car, they all say that they left for the day when they finished working on whatever their project was. And Branson had not returned by the time that they left. So to be clear, it does not sound as if they all left together, but rather once when they had finished, you know, the car was done. And then when the house was done. Yeah. So once the mechanics were done, they left. And once the house was done that, that she left, my question then becomes, was that vehicle now, could you drive that vehicle? Could you drive Branson's dad's vehicle, were they done putting that alternator in or or were they not successful? That's a great question. I do not know the answer to that. You know, one thing left out of a lot of the sources are what I believe are more key pieces of information, maybe even possible evidence. Right. So continuing with that, Branson's mom says that the shed was in a side lot. Remember, we have Gina. Again, this is the only person telling us what is going on activity-wise at that house or what Branson was up to that day that he's last seen. Branson tells Gina, I'm going to replace these, take these cables to the shed. I'm going to leave for a bit. I'll be back in a few minutes. Vanishes forever. Branson's mom says that the shed was in a side lot. So Bob owned a double lot side by side. The shed was not in the backyard like most would expect, but in a side yard. And then Becky also says that the jumper cables were typically kept on the porch. So the shed comment about the cables is strange to her completely. Gina, the friend that was over that day, said one of the guys working on the car at some point, this after Branson left, came into the home and she says went to the same cabinet that she had earlier seen Branson retrieve something from, 
And according to Gina, this guy too behaved strange when she saw him. Branson's family says not only was Branson's van found parked at the house, but they found all of his personal belongings inside the home, including Branson's wallet. And to Joanne's statement, the grandmother's statement about finding the doors to the home open and unlocked. According to Gina, if you do some further digging, she closed up the house when she left. I cannot say if this included locking the doors or not, but she says she closed up the house. So that makes me wonder, Captain, did Branson come home later that day and then go out again, or did something happen at the home? Right. So we're going to add to the story a little more because Joanne's, if you do further digging, says not only were the doors open, but the stereo was on at the house and the music was turned up when she arrived on the 12th and Branson was not there. That's strange. Right. So doesn't it look to you like... There are other things going on at this home, even after Branson supposedly walked off on his own. Yeah, and let's go back to those jumper cables real quick, because she goes, oh, well, those were kept on the porch. Okay, well, if they're kept on the porch, that that's probably because the car, again, the alternator is it runs and feeds energy back to your battery. Right. If it doesn't feed energy back to your battery, then you normally have to jump it. So they would want those wires to be accessible and maybe you want to put them in the shed because you don't want to walk, you know, 10 feet every time you have to jump the car because it's a common occurrence, but you're having the alternator fixed. So maybe that's why he thought, well, I can put the cables finally back into the shed. That makes a lot of sense. And the, the weird thing with the jumper cables always has been, the reason why this part of the story sticks and refuses to go away, is that according to every report that I could find, the jumper cables were not present. They couldn't find the jumper cables. And then two weeks later, they magically reappeared and they were inside the shed. Yeah, and look... <laughs> Again, I would love to know the names of these guys that were, quote-unquote, the mechanics, because they could have simply went, oh, we need to jump the car to get it started, to let it run, to feed energy back to the battery. If they completed the job, we don't know if they completed the job or not. And they used the jumper cables. One of them threw threw those cables in the back of their car or the back of their truck and didn't realize those aren't my cables couple weeks later they come back and return them but if it had if it was nothing nefarious why wouldn't somebody just come forward and explain why they you know hey it was me that returned the jumper cable again if if somebody has a record they you know these might be the reasons why they're not coming forward and going hey i my name is frank and i was one of the the, i trust you you believe you me the sheriff's department knows who these men are that were working on the vehicle oh yeah yeah they're not going to let gina crawford uh, maybe she's the only one that says she saw these men. They're not going to go into a town of 260 people and believe somebody that they don't know at least one of the men's names. Well, no. And, and on top of that, so Branson puts these, uh, you know, jumper cables away and people just didn't know where they were. And so then they, they, they see them one day that, that doesn't mean that, that the jumper cables ever went missing. It just means that maybe they didn't recognize the spot they were located in for a week or so. 
Possibly. I'm I'm going with the that that part sticks because I heard it from the sheriff himself say that you know they weren't there and then they were there. Uh, no. So again, these things need to be explained. There's an answer for them. That answer might lead you to whatever happened to Branson. Right. So our situation, regardless, is of course that there is no real physical evidence or information that's really pointing law enforcement in the direction of where this young man could be. Uh, we have to keep in mind that law enforcement is working five or maybe even six days after Branson disappeared. So they are already at quite a disadvantage. Remember Bob had scheduled he, his scheduled re- release was for that night on the 11th, but that got changed at the last minute and Bob was kept at the hospital longer than expected. So this is probably a good explanation for the delay that was going on. So you're hoping to find a breadcrumb from the Bransons, you know, from Branson's family and friends. What was he up to? Where does he normally go? Where do you think he would go if maybe if he were in some type of trouble, that sort of thing? You're going to be asking those questions, hoping that you can find that breadcrumb to to give you some kind of lead in this investigation. Yeah, I mean, let's let's do the, our our big tech sweep real quick. No mention of Branson having a computer. No mention of Branson having a cell phone. Would he have any way to communicate with anybody once he left the property, other than maybe a payphone or something? Well, the first interesting breadcrumb comes from Branson's father, right? So first there is this weird bit that took place on April 7th. So four days before, this is all alleged information. But Branson's father seemed to believe this enough that this story has gotten passed along time and time again. Right. Bob said, Branson's father Bob said that on April 8th, Branson told him a story, and because of the seriousness and because of Branson's tone, Bob believed it. Branson told his dad he was hanging out with a neighbor. This guy is named Jason. This is the day before on April 7th. And Jason gave him a pill, and then the two engaged in sexual activity together. Bob says he was furious because Jason was older than Branson, and Bob felt, based on what Branson's reaction was and how he told the story, that Branson was victimized by this guy. Bob felt that Jason drugged his son and took advantage of him. Right. Bob said he was pretty sure that his son had homosexual tendencies and probably explored that during his life, but... Right, it gets tricky because if you're taking a drug that you don't know how you're going to react to, how can you really be, how can you really consent to anything if you don't know how you're going to react to a drug? Could have been. I have even seen some throw around the word rape in regards to this situation. I'm not going to pretend to know exactly what went down. If I had to really think that there was some drugs involved, I also know that Branson was an adult. At this time, he was 20, and look, Branson could have been a victim here. He probably was. I'm just pointing out that this is not a man and little boy situation. This could have all been consensual or could have been predatory behavior 
and again, I think because Bob seemed to believe this story and had took you know took a big issue with this situation, we would be remiss to not mention it. Now, either way, it's something that needs to be looked into and could be a solid lead for the sheriff's department. This is the not away sheriff's office investigating the case, by the way. The other lead that stems from this same story about the neighbor is Bob says to detectives that maybe because of this event, Branson needed to, you know, he may have been seeking some help from a friend. Branson had a longtime friend, a close friend that lived out of state. So maybe he went there, this neighbor story. And then the out of state friend story, the sheriff's office were made aware of both of these situations very early on. And from everything I saw, captain, both were fully investigated Mm -hmm. and nothing came out of either of these possibilities. The other concern too is that at the time there was quite the drug problem going on in and around Skidmore, Missouri during that general time frame. Remember when attempting to profile an offender, you have to profile the victim, the area and the situation. We do have a psychic situation here, captain. And some people get all weird about the psychics. Some, yeah, people, but we like them and it's our show. So that you can do what you want when you get your own show. Uh, well, we're not saying that they're accurate. What we're saying is that they're interesting to to hear from from time to time. Well, and I think that the general problem that, that the general public has with the psychic situations in these cases is the same thing. You know, we echo this. We echo this concern is that sometimes a psychic will see vulnerable people, vulnerable people that are experiencing the loss of a loved one. A loved one's either missing or has been murdered. And the psychic will present themselves to the family right? and then start, you know, requesting money and things for information. And these people are desperate for any type of help. In some situations, the family seeks out a psychic. So it does go the other way. Sometimes I don't know what happened here, who sought out who I will say this Branson's father and mother extremely obvious to me and everyone else else out there they loved this kid and they were desperate for answers so maybe they sought out the psychic but regardless what happens here is the psychic says to mom and dad you know i can see that your son has been murdered uh he was tortured he suffered a long brutal torture before he was killed and the psychic refused to go into details about what actually happened to Branson because they didn't, they simply couldn't, didn't have the heart to tell the family. So then you wonder about this neighbor, but you also wonder about the town itself. Again, it's small, but we have, we have surrounding areas and, and some of those people are, are not as open-minded about sexuality. So is it, is this possibly a hate crime because psychic is saying that Branson was tortured? Well, I think let's go ahead and give a description here because this is a missing persons case. The case itself is classified as endangered missing foul play is strongly suspected in this case. And we will be getting into that more so, but Branson is a white male. He was 20 at the time when he went missing. He would be 40 years old today. He was five foot, nine inches tall. 
155 pounds athletic build. Not a great clothing description, but it's said that he was possibly wearing size 32 shorts, a size medium or large t-shirt, and necklaces with leather trinkets or chains with some arrowheads on them. Now, Branson does have a medical condition. It's a racing heart condition, and he is also allergic to penicillin. He has blonde hair, blue eyes. He wears his hair typically short. Yeah, he was a good-looking kid. And has a small, faint scar on the upper part of his right cheek and a small scar on his left knee. Again, we'll post pictures on our Instagram and Twitter and Facebook. All right. This takes us to a weird part in this whole story, Captain. It actually takes us to another investigation. Not in any way meant to be connected to Branson's missing persons case. About 20 years ago, and for several years, the FBI ran a project called Operation Candyman. The very basic goal of Candyman was to identify and round up as many as possible child pornography collectors, traders, sellers, suppliers, makers, all from the internet. And I hope and pray that this is a continued thing, just running under different names over the years, because a lot of sickos and a lot of potentially violent, dangerous sickos can be outed and locked up using this method. This is the old pervert roundup undercover style. Yeah, the old P-R-U-S. So this operation leads to dozens of arrests. When Got him. they identify these computer pervs, they go to their homes, they go to their, you know, through their things, and more importantly, through their computers and communications. So one of the sickies that they uncovered in this operation, Candyman, is a man named Michael Adam Davidson. This is in 2002. This perv was a medical student down in Alabama. He would later plead guilty to multiple charges of receiving and attempting to receive images of child pornography, pleading guilty in federal court. On his computer, amongst some other really gross stuff, they found a child pornography movie MP3 and a short, short snuff film MP3 that showed a man dying. It would have been an MP4. Davidson had communications with another man that he thanked for the snuff film file. The man Davidson thanked frequently chatted with Davidson, even calling the man his mentor. This mentor told Davidson in not such short way that he was a sexual sadist and he had killed a number of boys slash men. One of the stories this man discussed, to be clear, these were discussions and I promise I am not going to go through all of it. It's lengthy. It's disgusting. And frankly, I don't want to have to say some of the things that I have read and heard. The man tells Davidson when he was at the Walmart the other day, he spotted something that reminded him of something he had done. Now this man is attempting to be cryptic. He says he was reminded of something that's missing. He says it was not really missing. It was just never returned. He said he had a great fondness and memories of it and said that the thing with most prey is they are not worth looking for. It was a runaway or so it told me. And they again are referring to prey. They are just throwaways. No one gives a shit. This man chatting with Davidson when he was talking about something that wasn't really missing, it was just never returned. It was determined that he was talking about seeing a missing persons flyer for Branson Perry at the Walmart. 
Now, again, I'm going to keep this short as there is a lot to this chat and it's vulgar, really depraved stuff. So the short of it is he picked it up hitchhiking on the interstate. It told him he was from Skidmore. The two partied together drinking and he gave it a pill. The combo of the pill and the drinking made it most compliant. He took it out to a remote location that the man called basically a campsite, stripped it, tied it to a tree and tortured it physically, mentally, emotionally, and spiritually until it begged him to kill it. This man said that these were activities that he had done before. And his favorite part of these activities was breaking it. Afterward, he said he burned all of the clothing and he was very descriptive about destroying the clothing and other evidence. He said he eviscerated it so the body would not float or bloat and tossing the guts into a ditch and the body into deep water. He described the area simply as an Ozarks overnight stay and it as an 18 hour project. The FBI tracked down this man. This was a Fulton, Missouri resident. Fulton is about 250 miles southeast of Skidmore, and they did a search and seizure at the man's home work vacation property, basically described as a campsite with a trailer on it and his vehicle. They uncovered a plethora of child porn on his home and work computer and bondage items. These are devices, some would say torture tools and devices. These were found in the trailer at the campsite. Of course, this man is arrested and they are looking for evidence of any crimes this man may have committed, but specifically looking for evidence that he killed and concealed the body of Branson Perry. Now, what they find in relation to the Perry case is a leather necklace with beads and a turtle's claw. This is shown to Branson's parents and his father says the necklace is identical to the one Branson had. So who is this monster? Well, it's 59-year-old business owner and resident of Fulton, Missouri. He is the owner-operator of Decker & Decker Employment Services in Columbia, Missouri. He also is an ordained Presbyterian lay minister and a Boy Scout leader. Oh, yeah. This, this guy, he's already been convicted on child porn charges before. So... How he was allowed to be involved with this church or the Boy Scouts, I have no clue. No answers for you there, Captain. No, and he reminds me a lot of Buffalo Bill. Like, if you look at him just real quick, he doesn't look normal. He looks, um, you definitely can see the evil coming out in this individual. Back in the 90s, this man served a few months on child porn charges. This is Jack Wayne Rogers, and his whole story will just get stranger and stranger. And I'll read some of this here, Captain. This is from CBS News out of Columbia, Missouri. A former church minister and Boy Scout leader who cut off another man's genitals in a makeshift gender reassignment surgery in a hotel room pled guilty to first-degree assault and practicing medicine without a license. 
Jack Wayne Rogers, age 59, of Fulton, Missouri, admitted he performed the grisly operation. The judge followed the recommendation of prosecutors sentencing Rogers to 17 years in prison for assault and seven years for the illegal surgery. The prison time is to run concurrently with a 30-year sentence handed to Rogers after he pled guilty to child pornography and obscenity charges. Rogers promised the victim he'd remove his genitals in a four-hour operation. That time passed. Complications developed, and bleeding refused to stop. The victim says she didn't feel like a victim at first, but changed her mind after prosecutors presented her with Rogers' checkered criminal history, peppered with allegations of cannibalism and a pornography collection that included photographs of severed genitals. Quote, I didn't know his motivation when I went into it, she said. I was under a lot of emotional stress, and it seemed like there was no alternative. Rogers' public defender said she advised her client to plead guilty to avoid further prison time. Quote, he is getting concurrent time, she said. If he had gone to trial, he very well could have gotten consecutive time. He is still being investigated in the torture and killing of Skidmore man Branson Perry, who disappeared in April 2001. A police search of Rogers' property turned up that necklace that we already mentioned belonging to Branson Perry. Well, okay, we know he's a piece of shit, right? We know he's capable of doing this, and his name gets thrown around. And, like, if I'm hearing you correctly, at some point that Jack was telling somebody, this is what I did, confessing to somebody that this is what I did to Branson. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Now, after he's arrested for these child pornography charges, th what led them to this illegal surgery that this man performed was he had photos and evidence of it on his computers. And so, you know, you can't just be out there performing surgeries. And so they were able to charge him not only with the child pornography charges, but this illegal surgery that could have led to this individual's death. I mean, yeah. This man's not a doctor. He's performing this surgery where there's going to be a lot of blood in a hotel room. And as sick as this indiv individual sounds, Jack Wayne Rogers, from what he is chatting about in chat rooms and, of course, the nasty stuff found on his computers. Right as weird and strange and he describes himself as a sexual sadist that poor individual that's so damn desperate to to change their life to alter their life could have ended up being severely victimized by this man in the end captain rogers has denied killing branson perry and he's never been charged with anything in relation to branson's disappearance he said his writings and discussions were works of fiction fantasies that he lived out online. And frankly, I don't know what's more disgusting. The most disgusting thing obviously is the idea that maybe he actually did all or some of what he said he did. But even if he didn't, I don't know what is more appalling. The idea that he has these fantasies and acts and lives them out online or the fact that a bunch of others want to sit around and listen to it. Branson's mother attended Jack Wayne Rogers trial Every chance she got, she begged him to tell her where he hid Branson's remains. He offered no answers. 
So where does the case stand today? Sadly, Branson's father, Bob, died in 2004, and his mother, Becky, died in 2011. Branson has never been located. In Branson's mother's obituary, it is noted that her son, Branson Perry, predeceased her. So even though no remains have been found, Becky, who had cancer and knew that she was going to pass, went to her grave knowing in her heart that Branson was dead. Of course, as we said earlier, foul play is suspected in this case. That's law enforcement's stance. Now, where the case stands today and why Becky put in her obituary, chose to put in her obituary that her son Branson predeceased her will be quite clear. We're going to fill in some more blanks here. Go for it. There is a man, a retired sheriff, the sheriff that worked the case at the time. This would be Nottaway County Sheriff Ben Espy. And if you could take a mound of clay and mold it into a sheriff, this is what you would get. This guy was born to be a sheriff. You, you should see this guy in interviews. He's got that cold, dark stare when he's asked a dumb question by some reporter. This man is all business all the time. He knew that Branson's mother, Becky, was dying. This was a battle with cancer, and it was coming to the end. He wanted to offer her some kind of answers before she left this earth. And he said, look, it is my job to investigate these cases. I, however, don't make arrests. I don't prosecute people. It's the prosecutor's job to tell me who to arrest and who to convict in court. Yeah, he's just gathering evidence get said suspects. And keep in mind, this lead with Jack Wayne Rogers that looked very, very promising, this is happening a couple years into the investigation. Sheriff Espy said basically what was going on was we were we were going to follow every lead that came in. Every tip that came in, especially the Jack Wayne Rogers, that all needs to be looked at. It all needs to be sorted out. But he said, you know what, at the very beginning, very early on in this case, we knew what happened to Branson. We knew who was responsible. We just couldn't put together the evidence. And I think a lot of that was not being able to locate and recover the remains to bring forth charges on some individuals that were responsible. Espy points out back to the drug problem at the time. And he says, look, unfortunately, Branson Perry was no angel. He was not a saint. He was a good kid, but later in life, he got mixed up with the wrong crowd. And he was involved in some of the drug manufacturing and peddling that was going on at the very local small level in the area at the time. Espy is on record after being retired saying that Branson Perry was shot in the head. And he was buried somewhere. And he said that two people, at least two people, are responsible for the murder of Branson Perry. And he believes and has evidence that will show that nine, approximately nine people, are either involved or aware or know exactly what went down with Branson's case. These are all people on the local level. 
that everything leads back to the small town of Skidmore, Missouri. Right. And over the years, Captain, they've gone to several locations and done these excavating, digging, looking for the remains. And I really think that if they would have had those remains, they could have brought this thing to court. But again, this murder is all at the local level. It's not from some sicko that lived in Fulton, Missouri. It's all about the drug trade and the drugs that were being trafficked in the local area of Skidmore, Missouri. And again, the sheriff's department knows who is responsible for this young man's murder. They've even gone so far to say that not only do we know who's responsible, we know who else is involved. We know that he was buried at some point. And we also have evidence and reason to believe that at some point they went and moved the body. Well, it sucks that they can't collect enough evidence to bring charges against these individuals. Yeah. And Sheriff Ben Espy said, look, he, he had to give this information to Branson's mother before she was passing. And he believed that even though they couldn't bring charges against these individuals, that they owed her the truth. Uh, as the evidence and as their investigation showed the truth to them. Jack Wayne Rogers, although not involved in this case, other than being kind of a side story that gets lumped in because of his sick fantasies that he's living out online. He's an older man. He's probably about 75 years of age. And if my calculations are right, he's about 10, maybe 12 years left on that 30 year sentence. So hopefully he'll die still with the status of a federal inmate, but because, but because of his actions and his fantasies and for the sake of the communities and just public safety in general, the feds better make sure that he serves every minute of that 30 year sentence. Join us here in the garage tomorrow for another case. Cheers to you, Colonel. Cheers to you, Captain. Cheers to everybody out there. Join us back here in the garage tomorrow. Until then, be good, be kind, and don't litter. This is a big year. The Ohio Lottery's golden anniversary. 50 years of excitement, of growing jackpots and crossed fingers. 50 years of funding for schools, of changed lives and brightened days. 50 years of fun, and that is worth celebrating. So watch for can't-miss promotions, huge events, and new games that will make the Ohio Lottery's 50th year its biggest one yet. Learn more at funturns50.com.